Paging Dr. Randy. Paging Dr. Randy. I just got on call and they're paging me already. They want me to do work as soon as I get to work. Come on. Let's go. Yes, you. Come on. Well, I'm Dr. Randy. Nice to meet you. I'm a licensed family medicine physician. Since you're on call with me today, I want to make sure you learn as much as possible. Me and a few of my special friends are here to give you all the tips and info you need to live a balanced, healthy life. Are you ready to be on call with me? I hope so. So let's get it going. Our shift starts right now. Welcome back, healthy people, to On Call with Dr. Randy, your source of health information every Wednesday, sponsored by Heinz Entertainment Group. I have a special bonus episode this week. A few episodes ago, I had on Lauren Brown as a part of the I'm Too Young for This-ish series. If you don't remember Lauren's story, she was diagnosed with hydrocephalus as an infant and ulcerative colitis as a teenager. Hydrocephalus is the buildup of fluid and cavities in your brain called ventricles. Ulcerative colitis is inflammation of the inner lining of your intestines. It can cause a whole bunch of damage to the inner lining of your intestines. If you haven't listened to Lauren's story, you should go back and listen to her episodes. They're very interesting and thought provoking. After doing the first two episodes discussing Lauren's story, Lauren's mom wanted to share her version of the story. She remembered items that Lauren didn't know and wanted to share her story from her mother's perspective. What was it like having your first child to have a major brain surgery? Who did she turn to in times of need? What things did she notice in Lauren that Lauren didn't notice in herself? This will be a great episode, especially for those of you who have had to deal with sick family members or a sick child. So here we are with the bonus episode of I'm Too Young for This Ish with Lauren and her mom, Angela Taylor. And before we go on call, make sure you follow me on social media at underscore Dr. Randy. If you haven't done so already, thank you to all my new followers and check out my YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for On Call with Dr. Randy and you'll find a nice, handsome picture of little old me. Well, I'm not little, I'm tall, so big old me. But thank you for those who have already subscribed to my YouTube channel. So let's go on call with now in her fourth year of medical school, Lauren Brown, keep on achieving, keep going, keep grinding, Lauren, and her mom, Angela Taylor. So welcome back, healthy people, to On Call with Dr. Randy. We have a bonus episode. Yay! Everybody get excited. (laughs) All right. So a couple of weeks ago, we had on Lauren talking about her condition, hydrocephalus and ulcerative colitis. She was part of the series, I'm Too Young for This Ish. We were going to wrap up the series, but we want to have a bonus episode to have Lauren's mom on to talk about what happened during the whole process from her mother's perspective. So thank you, Ms. Taylor, for being on. You are so welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thanks for being on too, Lauren. Welcome back. Thanks. All right. So we'll just kind of get it started from the beginning. So I think last time me and Lauren talked, we kind of talked like a Marvel movie, kind of like an origin type story. And so we'll go through the same process as far as what happened during her initial hospitalization when she was born. Well, Lauren was born on February 24th cold winter's day and I didn't have any indication that anything was wrong with her actually 
had told all my friends she has five fingers, five toes. We're ready to go home. Um, we actually, like she told you in the last story, had her dressed in her pink snowsuit in the car seat and ready to go. And the team of doctors came in and said, we want one more doctor to check her out before she leaves. And I was just thinking, oh, this must be standard procedure. I was only 21. So I was thinking, they just want to look at her. I didn't know anything at all um, would come back with, the, you know, with them saying anything was wrong. So they had an eye doctor come in because she had sunset eyes. Um, and he looked at her eyes and he didn't say much. He left. And I think maybe a half an hour later, a team of doctors came in, three doctors, um, and they basically said, Miss Brown, we need to talk to you. Um, your daughter has a bleak in her brain. They didn't say hydrocephalus. They used layman's term. So, of course, I'm just hearing a bleed in the brain. And the first thing I said just out of my mouth was, is she going to die? Because I'm thinking her brain is bleeding. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, so they were like, no, the, the specialist is going to come in and talk to you about it. Um, and that's when they told me it was called hydrocephalus. And of course, I'm still kind of like, I don't know what that is. But they did a really good job of walking me through the next steps. Um, they decided to keep her in the NICU for a week. Um, they sent me home. They kept her for a week. And they did tell me um, before I left that they were going to put a shunt in, that that was standard procedure for hydrocephalus. And they kind of walked me through what a shunt did. But like I said, at 21, I was kind of like, I trust the doctors. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I went home and I came back to visit her each evening um, in the NICU, well, during the day and in the evening in the NICU. And then after a week, they sent her home with me. And as she told you, I was nervous because I didn't know what to expect once she got home. Her head was hurting, obviously, because she cried um, pretty much from the time she woke up to the time she went to bed. And they explained that she would yeah. probably have a headache and be irritable. Um, but I was just thinking, well, I don't really know what to do. They're saying she has a, you know, a bleed in her brain. What if something happens? And so my, thankfully, my brother, he um, works over at Riley, he worked at Riley Hospital at the time. And he had a friend um, who was a nurse and she called me and she talked to me about the kids in her NICU who dealt with hydrocephalus. And after hearing all the testimonies and how the, she made it sound like the surgery was just, they do it day in and day out. And after hearing that, I had more hope and I wasn't as scared. Um, so three weeks old, they put the shun in and the rest is history. <laughs> so how was that for you as a first, I think this, this was your first pregnancy, first, first child and going home and leaving, having to leave Lauren at the hospital? Well, when I went in, of course, I just, I expected to come home with the baby. <laughs> um, so when I had to leave her, it was it was shattering. My heart hurt and I didn't want to leave her. But like I said, I was 21 and I lived under my parents' roof and they wanted me to come home and get some rest. So the funny story, my cousin Kim, she would come during the day and pick me up and take me back to the hospital. <laughs> um, 
because my parents were pretty much like, Angie, we want you to rest. You need to be able to take care of Lauren when she comes home. So you don't need to spend 24 hours at the hospital. Mm -hmm. So as soon as my parents would leave the house, I'd go back to the hospital because I just could not (laughs) fathom being without her. And she was only five Mm -hmm. pounds and a few ounces. So I'm looking at this tiny baby staying at the hospital. And I didn't know those doctors. I wanted to be with her. Um, So, yeah, I would sneak (laughs) off and go back to the hospital um, during the day and come home at night just to be with her. And, of course, back then, they'd have you mask up with your gown. You could go in and hold her a little while. But she was she was just so tiny and fragile. I like I said, I just didn't want to be apart from her. I wanted to stay at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And at Methodist Hospital, um, it was a little different than like, say, your Riley Hospital, where the parents can go and stay in the Ronald McDonald room. No, they were like, she can stay and you can go home. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I didn't Mm -hmm. like it. Yeah, that's got to be tough. Yeah, definitely got to be tough. Yeah. And so then you went to go get her kind of after a week, like you said, and then bring her home. Yes, which was a surprise. So how was that aspect? Mm-hmm. You said it was a surprise? Was because I actually thought they were going to keep her until they did the surgery. I was just thinking, well, if anything goes wrong, she's with the doctors. They will know what to do. So when they said after a week that she could come home, as much as I wanted to be with her 24 hours a day, it was still scary to bring her home and think that something could go wrong. Her crib was in my room. And I remember after bringing her home that I would just watch her during the day. And I barely slept at night because I was just watching her. Every time she would cry, I would jump up just thinking something was wrong. It was, it was an experience to, you know, for your first child, for my first child, I should say, I was, I was like, I don't, like I said, I didn't know what to expect. Plenty of prayers were going up from every, you know, person that we had as a support team. But I was still just like, this is all foreign to me. So what was your support system like during that whole ordeal at the onset? Thankfully, my parents were my biggest um, support. They... <laughs> They were at that hospital as much as I was when we were able to visit um, after she had the surgery. Of course, they were there the day of surgery. My parents, um, they had every friend, I think, in every state, because my father's retired military, praying on the prayer line for Lauren. Anytime they'd hear me up, Mm -hmm. my father would peek in, Angela, are you okay? Or sometimes my mother would creep into my room, Angela, are you okay? And I was laughing. I said, are y'all checking on me? Are y'all really checking on Lauren too? You told me I needed sleep, but I I don't think they slept either. And I had friends who were like anything you need, we're there for you. Even the day she had surgery, like my cousin, Kim, who I said, stuck me to the hospital. She came, the waiting room was just full of support that day. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of go back to that day of the first surgery. So I'm assuming they kind of prepared you and told you all what was going to be involved. You had got yourself kind of mentally ready for the surgery. How did it go? Dr. Turner, who is, he's 
was before he retired actually one of the best neurosurgeons in the state of Indiana. And I found that out from my brother working at Riley and just the connections that he had over there. And of course, we did the research. So I felt like she was in good hands. But he explained it. I don't want to say like a surgeon, but he was just kind of like, we're going to go in, we're going to do this, and she'll be fine. So I didn't really, he just hmm. said, we're going to drill a, a um, hole in her skull the size of a dime. It'll be about 30 minutes. Send up some prayers and we'll be out. So he didn't really take too much time with us to like hold my hand and comfort me. He was just like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm good at it. And I'll be out in a minute. And they really were out in like 30, 45 minutes. I I don't even think we had time to go down to the cafeteria sink and they were out. So he was, um, <laughs> I don't know, some of the doctors that I dealt with before I left the hospital seemed to, I don't want to say hold my hand, but they seemed more like, well, we understand you're a new mom. Let's walk you through. But Dr. Turner, he was just about that business. So it was kind of, <laughs> I don't want to say intimidating, but intimidating at the same time. Like I wanted to ask him questions, but he moved so fast. I was just like, okay, I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like he gave you enough compassion during that time period? Dr. Turner was really nice. But like I said, he definitely was not a, his his bedside manner was funny to me because he always spoke really fast. He moved really fast. And I often felt like there weren't really time for questions. Now, when we saw him in the office for office visits, he was a little more laid back, but every single surgery that Lauren ever had, he was in and out. Like, you know, the routine, I'm in, I'm out, go to the waiting room. I'll, let, I'll talk to you when I'm finished. <laughs> But he was nice. But as far as just very personable, I always kind of felt like maybe I had a question and he was down the hall. Like, we ain't got time for questions. I got to go knock this out. And he moved. Are you too young to know the Benny Hill show? He, yes, I'm too. Okay. I've heard of it. I don't know what it but is, some but of the I've heard of it. People who are watching this will probably know the Benny Hill show. That's how he and his team moved. If you. Needed a question, you better ask why he's walking. Because <laughs> he moved fast. <laughs> so we we know when Lauren becomes a surgeon that she won't be in and out like that. Won't you, Lauren? <laughs> I'm like, I'll take my time. I would say that, though. Like, that's something I can work with my experience to be like, what do I want to do as a surgeon? Hmm. So Lauren had her first surgery, then you got to go and take her home. What was it like kind of after she had her first surgery and expectation-wise knowing that she'll need another one in the future? I believe that I kind of felt like it was the calm after the storm once she had the shunt put in because she, it was almost like they flipped a switch. When she came home, she was just so calm you could tell she was no longer in pain. She was just, and I, I'm not biased because she's my first baby, but she was just the sweetest little baby. You could just tell that she had been in pain. And when I talked to Dr. Turner, he did tell me that she'd need a shunt revision, probably in grade school. 
he explained that, of course, because shunts are man-made, that they could malfunction. But we never really fo uh, focused on it malfunctioning. The years went by, and fifth or sixth grade, I believe it was sixth grade, because she was going to go to sixth grade camp. Um, the revision It came time for the revision, and things went smoothly, and we were so used to not having any, any problems that when she had that first revision and future surgeries came, that's when I was surprised. It was normal to go years without anything other than a yearly visit. Um, I'll backtrack. When Lauren had the surgery, the first surgery, she did have several specialists. She had to see an eye doctor um, because they were a little concerned about her vision. So there were quite a few follow-up visits that were with the eye doctor, occupational therapy, because they were afraid that she wouldn't walk before one year, before she turned one. Um, so those were normal. And then, like I said, the yearly visit with Dr. Turner was normal. And I believe she was probably 18 months when she was able to stop seeing both the eye specialist and the occupational therapist. So moving forward all the way to sixth grade, the only doctor she saw was her pediatrician and her neurosurgeon. So it was, it's weird mm -hmm. to say it was life as normal. It was normal for us, but there wasn't much going on that had us so concerned where we felt like Dr. Turner wasn't going to be able to handle it. And I think I just always focused on the fact that, well, had she had hydrocephalus years ago, there wouldn't be anything that they could have done about it. So I think we just went forward focusing on the blessing that they were able to put a shunt in. So as you kind of mentioned the word normal, me and Lauren uh, talked about this on the previous episode, that this has always kind of been the normal for her. Um, the office visits that she's had to go through, the surgeries that she's had to go through. So I don't know if you remember offhand, what was the initial conversation with when Lauren became of age where she can kind of understand everything as far as hydrocephalus, her condition, the things that she may have to go through in the future? Do you remember kind of that initial talk? I remember um, at the very first surgery, they gave us a coloring book kids and of course three weeks old there was nothing we could really do for with the coloring book for her so we just held on to it and as she got older well, when she was probably Lauren probably around three I want to say we started showing her the coloring book and just explaining to her about her shunt she didn't really understand it at, at three years old but we just made sure each time she went back mm -hmm. to the doctor that we would tell her that she has a shunt and it was helping her because she was sick as a baby. And I want to say Lauren was probably in maybe third or third grade before she really figured out what was going on. I don't want to say figured out, but was just kind of like, oh, mm -hmm. so not everybody has a shunt. <laughs> Was it third grade, Lauren, maybe around that time, second, third grade? Yeah, it might have been around that time. But yeah, like I actually under understood, like could get, oh, 
I don't remember the age exactly, but I remember talking to mom uh, one day. And at one point I thought like, I don't know, you know, if you're like only born with one kidney. So like, I didn't realize that I had a shot because I needed one. And it was like a piece of plastic that they gave me. I literally thought I was missing something. And I was like talking to her about it. And I was going, you mean I was born without this shot that I was supposed to have? And she was like, no, man. <laughs> so she did. To, yeah, like, obviously I had to like grow into actually, you know, understanding the disorder. But yeah, at one point she had to backtrack and explain it again. I was like, no, no, no. Like, you weren't born without something. You have like an extra piece that you needed because you were sick. Yeah. And we never really told her, like, we never used the word, like, you're different, or, and I don't even think we used the word ill very much, did we, Lauren, or sick? We just told her that she had a shunt and that it helped her because we may have said sick, (laughs) but it was probably maybe, Mm -hmm. probably fourth or fifth grade before she may have wrapped her head around the fact that she'd have to have another surgery. Mm-hmm. And by that time, then it was mm-hmm. almost surgery time at sixth grade in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember, I think they gave you like a list of um, symptoms as well. Cause I feel like at a certain point, like I had to know to tell you like, no, I need something's wrong and we need to go. <laughs> yeah. Like see Dr. Turner, or like go to the hospital. Like not just like, Oh, I'm, like you're saying, like, I'm sick or like, I, I don't feel well, mom. But like, there, there's a point, yeah, where it's like I knew to come to them and be like, nah, something's not right. We always kept a list of symptoms on the refrigerator. But the main things I would always tell her, let us know if she had a headache. And of course, we'd know, unless she wasn't with us, if she was sick to her stomach or vomiting, or if she felt dizzy or blurry vision was the main thing. But it was her big thing was always a headache. Um, So we would always tell her, now let us know if you had a headache. But it's, you know, headache, nauseous, those things could be, do you have the flu? So it was just always precautions. So as Lauren kind of got older, we know she had to eventually have more surgeries and um, revisions of the shine. Do y'all recall the first surgery that she had that you actually remember? And how was that conversation as a parent talking about that surgery? The first surgery that we talked about was the revision because it was scheduled. So we were Mm -hmm. able to Mm -hmm. let her know exactly what was going to happen. They even walked her through the operating room um, procedures and what would happen and everything. And Lauren just... Lauren always went in like a champ, almost like it was, like I said, just second nature. Like, this is what mom says going to happen. So I'm just going with the flow of things. So the very first surgery, she may not have 100% understood what the doctor was going to do, but she went in. I think her father and I were more scared than she was. At least she didn't seem nervous. She went to the OR. They let us stay with her until they took her back. And she, the only thing she was concerned about was her homework. Mom, make sure somebody (laughs) brings my homework up here. Okay. (laughs) She never wanted to miss any school at all. (laughs) 
<laughs> so do you remember that, Lauren? Do you remember going to take a tour of the emergency, well, the operating room and them kind of explaining things? I actually don't remember that at all. <laughs> like, I do remember the whole homework thing because I think that, I think that happened every time. So like the homework thing, right, what happened also when I was older. But yeah, that first like revision surgery, like you said, I might have been in sixth grade or something. I don't I don't remember them. Like I that makes sense though, especially as a kid to be like, let's at least help this process as much as we can, but I don't remember that at all. Cause I wanna say they had a little book for that too. They had a book for they did a really great job as far as having books and coloring books and things to help kids feel comfortable about what was going to happen. I do remember one thing. It was the only reason I remember it was sixth grade is because Lauren had a sixth grade camp um, that she did not want to miss. And I want to say she was four or five days out of surgery Mm -hmm. and was pretty much demanding that she attend this sixth grade camp outing. And Dr. Turner was pretty much like, she can go. There's nothing holding her back. She's been released and she can go. So she went. It's almost like she she never missed a beat. Once she was released from the hospital and had the all clear, as long as she wasn't playing contact sports, Dr. Turner was like, let her be. (laughs) Shout out to Dr. Turner out here saving lives and putting in shunts. (laughs) So while we're kind of on the subject about... Lauren going to camp and leaving home and being away from you. How did you deal with that as a parent when she would have to go other places like camp, go and stay with friends overnight, or even as a, as a baby, if you had someone watching her like babysitting, how, how did you kind of watch from a distance or educate people on her condition? Well, I was, blessed to have my mother watch Lauren until she was two. So I knew she was in good hands when I had to work. Um, But anytime, as she got older, anytime she went anywhere, I had to make sure people knew if she just, we would actually send her symptom list with her if she spent the night someplace. And of course, would only let her go with someone who we really trusted and knew um, would care for her the same way we did. But it was pretty nerve-wracking because I know that um, Dr. Turner would always say no dodgeball, no contact sports, like, Lord forbid the child get hit in the head. So when she's not in your hands, you're kind of worried, like, well, what is she going to do? Is she going to sneak and play dodgeball? Or, you know, are they going to wrestle? What might happen? So as a parent with a child um, that has a shunt, I will say when she was not in my hand, not in my sight, I'd worry. Laura, how old are you? 30, 31? Right. Oh, hold on now. <laughs> look, I, I'm sorry. And I still, look, I still worry about her when she's not with me. Um, and I will say one thing <laughs> that Dr. Turner told me, because you know they have to give you the best and worst case scenarios. So they give you the best case scenario, but then sometimes your brain holds on to the one thing they tell you might happen. And they did say when she was little that if her shunt malfunctioned and we didn't get her in in time, that depending on how long we went, it could cause her brain to collapse. Well, of course, at 21 years old, that's the only thing I heard. So even to this day, when she's out of my sight, I occasionally ask her, do you have a headache? 
have you been sick? You know, do you have any symptoms? How's your shunt? You should know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, it's almost like out of everything Dr. Turner told me, even with the statistics of how well a shunt works, for some reason, I held on to that little bit of information. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember, I don't know why, but I feel like we talked about getting a medical bracelet for me. And I don't know why we never did. Cause I think we had that conversation like, yo, do you need one that like says, you know, hydrocephalus or something? Cause people usually have like, like diabetes, any, like any, you can get anything. So people will know, you know, if she does fall out in the middle of the street, nobody knows her, but like, mm-hmm. I never got one. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> Probably because I wasn't letting you out of my sight too much. <laughs> At school, like we all, we always send her records. We, ta- I personally talk to every single nurse about if she has a headache, she's not just coming down to get out of a test. If she has a headache, you all really need to call us because we had an incident after her first revision. <laughs> and it's so funny how the school system, I won't say the school system works, but it was actually in her medical record, records that if she has a headache, you need to call because it could be her hydrocephalus. She actually went down to the nurse complaining of a headache and being sick to her stomach. And they were kind of like, yeah, just deal with it. And of mm-hmm. course, she called me. And I had to go up to the school and talk to them and reiterate again, like, no, we really need you to call us if she has something as simple as a headache. So even with it being in the charts, there were times when we dealt with people just saying, hey, it's a headache. Sleep it off or put your head down, stay at school and see if it goes away. And so we had to be very adamant and I had to be very upfront and personal with her, with the nurses to make sure they would call mom. Lauren, did you ever feel like your mom was overprotective sometimes or you can kind of as an adult now realize she was just trying to protect her baby? <laughs> I, both. I know she was trying to protect me and I, I feel like I always do this on the episodes where I just blur all the disorders together, but that's how it seems to me because this happened with the ulcerative colitis because she will kidnap me and take me to the hospital. So like, <laughs> the first like um, appointments that we had for the ulcerative colitis, the first line treatment, like the doctor is like, let's try this, that, whatever, you know, like take some steroids and we're going to like see. And mom was kind of like, okay, I done seen and this ain't what so like I went to school one day. And I came home and I got off the bus and like everybody's in the driveway getting in the car with like a backpack for me. And mom was like, all right, come on, we're going to the hospital. I was like, dude, you asked me. It was so funny, but like, I don't know. Cause it's like, you know, when people are like, oh, I have like a helicopter mom or like my parents are very, but it's one thing to be strict or a helicopter mom. But like, if you're sick, you know what I mean? So you need somebody to take care of you and make sure you get better. So even if I didn't want to go to the hospital, because I do, I think I try to, yeah, I try to negotiate that all the time. Like, but can I just not go to the hospital? And she's like, no. You tried to negotiate that two years ago, didn't you? A year ago when you had yeah. brain surgery. Yeah. I just always feel like better safe than sorry because, I know, and I don't know what it is. Like they say, moms have that gut instinct. 
every single time, Lauren has to admit, every single time I made her go to the ER, it was really her shunt that had malfunctioned. We never went to the ER and they said, oh, Miss Brown, Mrs. Taylor, you, you're wrong. Like, we're just going to send her home. Every single time the shunt had malfunctioned, even during the pandemic when I kept saying, Lauren, something's not quite right. Like, I want you to go to the ER. And she was like, I think I'm just tired. I was like, we're going to the ER and her shunt had really malfunctioned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, yeah, she was just like, yeah, she, it was two years ago. And she was like, no, you can't stay home. You get in the car. <laughs> she was like, but I, you know, like you're saying, I have to be grateful because I honestly would be dead. I, you know, we know the drill. So if I didn't go. <laughs> so this is what I, I'll say about that. Once she has symptoms and she takes herself to the ER, mom will be able to rest a little bit. But seeing that she still is, like I said, a little older and does not want to go to the ER, I still have to persuade her sometimes. But I, once she starts taking herself, I'll, I'll rest a little. You're not going to rest. You're not going to rest at all. <laughs> no, she's she, she just straight lying on the podcast. <laughs> Yes, where's the last being a doctor, I already be in the hospital. You see how you see how I did that? That's what that was a thought process. I was like, I don't even have to take myself because I'll be there anyway. <laughs> so y'all both kind of mentioned um the episode of of you like needing to have your shunt redone during the pandemic. What was that like when you told her to go in the midst of all that was going on with COVID? That was actually the first surgery um, ever that I was not able to be with her. <laughs> so that was that was nerve wracking. Um, they did tell me ahead of time that I could drop her off at the ER and leave her there. So uh, when I had to leave her at the ER, kind of knowing in my gut that it was her shunt, I, the prayer line, like I said, it's the saving grace for, for our family. So I had to come home and just send up some major prayers that night. And when she called and said, Mom, it is my shunt. They're going to do surgery. At this point, I was just kind of like, what else? What could I do? I just trust that she's in good hands. And the doctor <laughs> and Lauren knows that I get a little anxious, a little anxious when it comes to her. So she always tells the nurses, like the recovery nurses, like, please, please tell my mom that I'm okay. So this time with me not being there, I guess she woke up begging them, like, can you call her now? I, did you ask the doctor? I think she even asked the doctor, like, before you even tell me anything, please just call my mom and tell her I'm okay, please. Yeah, it was the nurse because I woke up in recovery. I don't know. Not like I don't know where the doctor was, but I'm sure he was probably doing some other surgery. But yeah, I opened my eyes in recovery and, you know, they're there to make sure you're good to go. And she's like, just looking at me. And I'm like, like you said, please, please just call my mom. Like, I'm fine. Don't even worry about me. Yeah, I know that had to be like a crazy time. Anytime that Lauren has surgery, there's always a heightened sense of something wrong may happen. But then on top of that, COVID and her being in a hospital in a setting where a lot of people are concerned about her potentially getting sick from something that's just around and possibly 
may make her even worse than what she was going through then. But did that add a level of anxiety to the it situation? Did. It really did because it was during the height of COVID because that's, you know, that's why they didn't have any visitors coming to the hospital. So that did add a whole nother level of, of anxiety to the pot, I will say. So, and they got her in and out really fast because of that. So as soon as they said, you can come get her, I was just like, thank you, Jesus, because I'm on my way. Yeah, like what mom said, I don't usually skip a beat. Like, they'll fix me and I'm good to go. And that was one of the things. They're like, man, we fixed you. We took your scan of your head and everything looks great. And if you stay here, you're going to get COVID, so go home. So yeah, I was. I think I was out in like 24 hours, 48 hours. Like that. It's almost like they, it seems like they almost, yeah, it was a little under 48 hours. Didn't you sneak into the hospital? (laughs) Technically, I didn't sneak. They gave me (laughs) some wrong information. The changing of the guards didn't have the right information, so mama got up in there. I think they had just changed their protocol when I went and a couple of the people at the desk thought they were still allowing visitors during certain times. So once they checked and found out, no, they really weren't, I was pleading with them like, please, can I just look at her? And I guess they saw my mom face and they let me through and I was able to just look at her and leave, but it was enough to calm my nerves. (laughs) <laughs> but they were really sweet about it because I think they could tell I was getting ready to cry. I was. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So they might as well find a way to sneak in there, mm-hmm. get in there and do what they need to do just to lay eyes on their baby. So we kind of talked about it and touched mm-hmm. on it earlier about ulcerative colitis and Lauren being diagnosed when she was a teenager. And so she mentioned last time that we talked that you were the one who first kind of pointed out to her that seemed like something was going on with her. She was going to the bathroom a lot. Can you tell me a little bit about that story? You know, I guess sometimes we take for granted when the doctors say, when you check in for a doctor's appointment and they ask, are you using the bathroom a little more or a little less? And you just don't really think about that question. But I heard Lauren up each evening for probably two weeks during the middle of the night, just going to the restroom. Um, And I thought that was odd because Lauren would always sleep straight through the night. And I asked her about it. I said, Lauren, I said, is your stomach just upset? Is something going on? And she was, she was pretty much just like, I just keep having to go to the bathroom. And like I always say, mom instinct, I said, well, doesn't sound like you should be going to the bathroom every night in the middle of the night. So let's go to the doctor. He's like, I've heard of people having a bubble guts, but not like this. That was that was a little extreme on that. Yeah, and it was almost every night um, for two weeks, and it was just not her routine. And so, like I said, I'm always better safe than sorry. Maybe she could have just been sneaking and eating too much candy, but I didn't feel like it. And I was just like, well, let's just go to your primary care doctor. And we told him, and he did send her to a specialist. Mm-hmm. So what happened after she went to see the specialist? She went to see the GI doctor. I'm assuming they had a discussion about her having blood in her stool. Mm-hmm. They did. Um, 
oh, they did a physical exam, I believe, at that at the doctor's office with um with the specialist. Lauren, didn't they do a physical exam before they ever did the colonoscopy? Yeah, and they probably did to do the like oh your doctor they probably did an FOBT and it was positive. But yeah, you're right. They probably started with like they started with a sample, I believe, didn't mm -hmm. they? Like a regular. And, yes, and then when she went to the special, and so the sample came back showing blood in the stool, and then that's when she was referred to the specialist and when he did a physical exam it was very clear that she had blood in her stool and so he immediately ordered a colonoscopy and of course the whole team of prayer warriors <laughs> went up to the hospital that day um, for the testing and um, when the doctor came out and I cannot even think of his name I'm sorry I guess Dr. Turner is the only doctor I ever remember he came out and he was holding her films and he was he said she has a disease. And we were thinking, we know she has hydrocephalus. <laughs> he said, um, no, she has um, ulcers on her colon. And he explained to us what that was and said they were going to keep her and try to treat her with steroids and see if that would help. No, and actually, did they keep you after the colonoscopy, Lauren, or is that when they sent you home for the two weeks? Right. So I think with the steroids, they sent me home because all I had to do was take them and they were just kind of like, we'll see if they work or not. Do you remember like we they ran so many tests and I, I know I had the colonoscopy, but I think I got the films the one day because were you with me? Because I had to drink all the like it was like a gallon of whatever that, I had to drink. The colonoscopy, I believe. Because I think I like stayed at the at the hospital like all day. It was just kind of like, yeah, we're going to. Let yeah. it move through your system. <laughs> <laughs> we were up there all day. Yeah. So then they did, she's right, they did send her home to see if the medicine would work. And I and want to say was like, it ain't working. <laughs> I think they said give it four or five days. And I think in 4.3 minutes, I was like, I don't know if this is happening. So they did keep her and the doctors did agree that it was pretty aggressive and she ended up being in the hospital what Lauren almost 30 days with that mm -hmm. yeah she they they tried um some heavy hitting medicines before they did the surgery but none of the steroids were working they would come in um <laughs> like uh, like again again with a team of doctors each day and they were kind of like these steroids aren't making a dent at all. Um, so they recommended a medicine that she could. This was Remicade? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was, now that you say that. Um, and once we did the research on that, she was 18 at the time, or getting ready to turn 18 and getting ready to leave for college. So they gave her two options. They said she could try this Remicade and come back every so often and what they would administer it intravenously i think so mm -hmm. or she could have her colon removed and at eight at 18 years old i looked at her and i said lauren you're almost 18 i think you were turning 18 what in two weeks or something like that i the said last colon surgery was like the day before my 18th birthday i said you're getting ready to go to iu i can't make that decision for you you know whether or not you want to 
come home every, what was it, six weeks, Lauren, or something like that, you were going to have to come home? Mm -hmm. I said, and deal with being poked and prodded. And I don't know if Lauren told you that normally when they put an IV in, they end up having to get the heart surgeon. What are the heart unit Mm -hmm. for her? Because she's a hard stick. Usually, of course, the, um, what is it? The The vascular (laughs) specialist. What is it I'm talking about? You know yeah, that's usually harder than the surgery on her. And so I knew, I knew that Lauren was not going to want to have to come back and do that every six weeks because she doesn't like needles to this day because of that. So I told her to think about it. Mm-hmm. I, and they explained, you know, what it would be like to have her colon removed. They talked to her about the procedure and how many surgeries she would have after that, um, how her life would be if she didn't have a colon. And she quickly made that decision to go ahead and have that surgery. Mm-hmm. So how was, how was that kind of for you as a parent at that time period? I don't know if Lauren at that time was kind of stable from the hydrocephalus standpoint. And is it now kind of like, what now? Something else has popped up. I would just have to say, I could not believe it. I really couldn't. I thought she has hydrocephalus this is it. Surely there will be nothing else. So when he came with this whole diagnosis, diagnosis of ulcerative colitis, I'm sorry, my nerves are getting to me now. I was like, are you serious? And I think I just felt like, I don't want to say why her, but I just felt sad for her. As a mom, I was just like, the child has been through so much all of these brain surgeries, and now to have to have her colon removed, more so not really worried about what we would have to go through, you know, with her. I was worried about her and her spirits and how it would feel, you know, at such a young age to have to deal with all of this. I always thought a colostomy bag was for older people, like everybody that I knew was older that had one. So I was concerned about how she would handle college, you know, and the last part of her senior year with this bag on. And I was really worried what it would do to her mental state. I'm not going to lie about that. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking, wow, how much more can the child have to go through? And it was getting to the point where, like you said, the first surgery, she was in and out. She was a champ. As she went on and had to get each revision of the shunt, you could tell it was starting to wear on her. It was kind of like, are you serious? Another surgery. Then when she had this diagnosis, I had to stay in the hospital and watch her for 30 days. Never had Lauren said, I don't want a visitor because she was just used to everybody, all of mom's friends, all of grand's friends, anybody that wanted to come and pray for her. She was fine. Let them come. Let them see me have dinner at the hospital. Let them stay in the waiting room. When they told her about this ulcer colitis, I think two weeks in to that to that um, hospital stay, Lauren was like, Mom, I do not want another visitor. And I mean it. And so we had to respect that she was tired. So at that point, the only people that came were me, my husband, her little brother, of course, was always welcome, my mom and my dad. And it it felt weird to tell people who were just wanting to show her love 
that, you know, we got to respect her. She, you know, she's old enough to say she doesn't want company. So we're not having company. So that was, that was a little hard to have to tell people that they couldn't lay eyes on her. Um, but that I want to say the ulcerative colitis battle was harder than any of the um, shunt revisions, harder than all of them put together. That was the one time where I saw Lauren cry the most, that eliostomy bag, and I called it a colostomy bag, but it was an eliostomy bag. Mm -hmm. um, it wore her out. Changing it, just, yeah, it was it was not a good time. It wore me out a little bit, but also you and dad, because there, there was a time where, like, they were helping me. It was, that's what it reminded me of. I was like, dang, like you said, I'm, like, 18 at this point. Like, it's almost like I'm back to being a baby and they're changing diapers because there was one time where, like, they had to switch the bag that I had. It's like you have different brands or different, you know. So the first one I started with, it was good. And they taught me how to use it. And it was, like, easier to use. And then I think I switched bags. Mm. And I just couldn't. I was like, this ain't working. I don't know what I'm doing. And then, like, mom tried to help me. And then dad tried to help me. And we were just like, wow. <laughs> we we actually had to end up going. I think we got a new, they either got me a different brand. or But we went back to the doctor. And they are like, all right, let's give you this bag. So it can actually, you know, you can put it on and it'll actually stay there. Um, I believe because Lauren had already had previous stomach surgeries that the way they put her ileostomy bag on, it wouldn't lie flat, if that makes sense. So it made it harder for her to change it herself, where they thought she would just be able to take it off and put it on because it didn't lay like it was supposed to. She had trouble and then her skin is sensitive. So not only could she not change the bag, then she had to deal with the rawness of her skin. So imagine taking a Band-Aid off of raw skin every single day is almost what we were doing because it just kept leaking. And so when I tell you that was one time where we really had to pull together as a family to help her, because like I said, we were just so used to after the shunt surgery, she just comes home and she's like, hey, I'm back, I'm not back to normal, but I'm just living my best life. Mm -hmm. This one, we really had to be hands-on with the egliostomy bag. It was, it was hard. It was very hard. It was hard to watch too. Yeah. So one thing that I've been doing um, personally the last few years is finding ways to protect my peace. And I feel like the situation that you talked about, about not letting people in to see you after you had your surgery was a way for you to protect your peace. Do you know what went into that thought process for you of not wanting people to come see you? I think, um, I think like mom was saying, I was kind of just tired. Um, yeah, I think at that point, like she was saying, I, I, in total, that hospital stay was 30 days. Um, and I remember that because when I went back to like school for the first time and like a teacher actually mentioned that he was like, wow, we have perfect attendance in like the, you know, in the last 30 days we have it. But I feel like being like two weeks in and just 
and I don't know I don't know if by then we even knew what we were gonna do or if they had a plan or anything like that and I think I think I was just so tired that I was just like you know if it's not something that's not like if it's not something that's gonna help I just think I was exhausted I was just like I've been in here how long? I don't know when I'm going to leave. I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Like, what is happening right now? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I was just exhausted. Because she hadn't had the colon surgery yet. She hadn't had it removed at two weeks. They were still trying steroids. So she didn't know what one day would look like to the next. Mm-hmm. And so kind of during that time period, you're a teenager, you're coming into yourself as a woman, as an individual. So Ms. Taylor, what was it kind of like watching her go through this, especially during that time in her life period? I remember when she went to senior prom, she had on a little silky light blue dress and you could see the ileostomy bag. You could see the outline of it. And when she went to the prom, one of the teachers asked her, was she trying to sneak alcohol in? Hmm. And so it was just kind of one of those things where you felt like on top of having the health issues, now you have school issues that you have to deal with and stop and explain what's going on. Like, And I was like, how embarrassing must that have been for her to have to tell them, no, it's a poop bag. It's not alcohol, because that's what Lauren would always call it, my poop bag. <laughs> um, and, and I just kind of felt, I, you know, felt bad for her because I remember my senior year, you look forward to going to the prom and whatever senior trip they're having and just having fun and you know, touring colleges. And I was just thinking, wow, to have another layer of just health issues in the midst of what should be probably the funnest year of high school. Once again, like I said, I was just worried about her emotional state. Mm -hmm. And I always, I guess my frame of mind was as long as it's curable or they can fix it or they can manage it. I never really like felt crushed about the diagnosis. I was just always thankful that it was manageable because when we were at the hospital for 30 days, then we'd see parents who were there for six months. So then you put things in perspective and you're like, oh, it could be a lot worse. So when Lauren, Lauren, were you a senior when you were the Kiwanis Award? Was I a senior? I might might have been younger. That might have been a different year. Okay. And And I think one of the things that we just always said as a family and Lauren said this at her award what doesn't kill me makes me stronger and that's just kind of how we looked at it and we didn't tell her not to have you know her bad days like we definitely feel your emotions if you're sad about it cry we're here but I think as a family we just always really tried to focus on it could be worse mm-hmm. and she's made it through all of this mm-hmm. She really has. She's our determined little young lady. (laughs) So as we kind of wrap up, um, if there's a parent listening out there or someone who has a chronic condition, 
what kind of lasting words of wisdom, Ms. Taylor, would you leave for that parent who may have a child going through some kind of similar situation? What kind of words of hope would you want to provide them? I would say, first of all, always trust your gut instinct, because there were a couple of times when we called and they said, no, that doesn't fit the symptoms. And I was like, it might not fit your symptoms, but something's wrong with my child. So you have to fight for your child, even if you feel like the doctor knows more. I just feel like as parents, we have that gut instinct that tells us what something's wrong. Um, my big thing is prayer. We just stayed on the prayer line. We didn't give up hope. And we just tried to stay positive with the situation. But I would definitely encourage being an advocate and doing your research when it comes to any type of health condition. Yes. Be an advocate. Don't start knocking down stuff off the table, though. Don't get too wild. Just just be an advocate. No, definitely not that. <laughs> definitely not that. But always, if you have questions or you don't, you know, you're not comfortable with the answer that you get, it's always ask more questions or get a second opinion is what I would definitely say. Second or third opinion, because luckily, like I said, we were blessed with a really good team. But there were times when even I had to say, well, I'm not liking the answer that we got. So let's go to the ER. And that's how they found one of her um, malfunctions. Um, we didn't catch it with the primary care doctor, but we went to the ER and they did some more tests and they found it. So I would just say, if you're feeling uncomfortable, get a second opinion. Any words you want to leave, Lauren? Uh, I don't think so. I think she got it all. Does she get like the, what did we do last time? Randy round of questions. Did she get those? Oh, they are coming. They are coming. See, you already spoiling it for me. We're going to get into it. So we always end with Randy's random questions. Lauren is so ready for it. She just jumped straight into it. So I'm going to ask y'all both the same question. So I'm going to start off with you, Lauren. If you had to use one word to describe your mom, what word would that word I only be? get one? I mean, I was yes. going to say, okay, can I do like what the number one word was and then the number two word? Because they both, when they both came into my mind yes. at the same time. So I was going to say amazing. Okay. And that was really a culmination of just listening to you for the past, you know, for this episode, but strong. Um, and I feel like, like, no, but you have the disorders, Lauren, so you're strong. But I feel like also as, as the parent, you know, she had to go through a lot and I'm sure it was, I feel like, you know, these kids are already a lot anyway. It's so like on top of that, it's like when you have a sick child and you have to go through all of that. So, yes. All right. So same question for you, Miss Taylor. If you had to use, I said one, but Lauren, she's going to do what she wants to do and do one plus um, a bonus word. So we'll give you one and a bonus word to describe oh. Lauren. <laughs> Why do you use the word resilient for her? That child just bounces back. 
I, she, like I said, she's had so many things, not even just health issues, but just things go on in life. And she just has that bounce back mentality. She just like, I'm determined to keep going and make the best of all the situations. Okay. And the last question. So if y'all had to go on a girl's trip together, just y'all two, where would y'all go and what would y'all do? So I'll let Lauren go first. Well, no, I'll let Miss Taylor go first. I'll let you go first this time. If y'all had to go on a girl's trip together, where would y'all go? I've always wanted to go, and I'm going to put this out there since she's going to be a doctor, right? I want to go to Greece, <laughs> and I would love to see Greece with Lauren and just spend time at the beach, do some food tours, do some shopping, go to the spa. All on her dime. Mm-hmm, all on her dime. <laughs> you heard me say she's gonna be a doctor, so she's gonna take me right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, Lauren. Same question for you. Where would you want to go with your mom? I think I want to go. Um, maybe we can go to Aruba. I feel like mm-hmm. I want to be on the beach. But I now that we've said that, I, we are. Dr. Randy, we're going to contact you and let you know when we get to those places. I'll, I'll take you to Greece, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is documented in time. She is committed to taking you to Greece. Oh so anytime oh she forgets about that, you can just pull this episode up and go to this uh, section of the podcast and play it back for her. <laughs> All right. So I appreciate y'all two both being on and sharing your stories individually and as a family. Y'all have gone through a lot, but made it through together. And I know y'all serve as an inspiration to others who may be going through something similar as a family or as an individual. So thank you all for sharing your stories. You are so welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right. <laughs> I want to go to Greece too. The beaches and the water look so pretty and calm and relaxing over there. Y'all think they'll take me? No. No, they won't take you. Thanks, Intervoice. I appreciate your support as always. Thank you, Lauren and Miss Taylor, for being on and sharing your story. Thank you all for listening as well. Be sure to rate and leave a comment, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. I have a five-star rating over there. Killing it. And I hope to continue that. So leave me a five-star rating and leave me a comment on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that allows you to do so. Also, if you like this episode or any episode, share it with a friend. That would be a great holiday present for me and possibly for them too. Dr. Randy, I'm not trying to give anybody a podcast episode as a Christmas present. Okay, just share it with them. I appreciate it. And happy whatever you're celebrating this year. Fill in the blank of happy, you fill in the blank on that. Except if it's some devil worship and stuff. Yeah, we're not doing that over here. But happy, whatever you celebrate. I'll be back next week. And as always, stay healthy, physically, and mentally.